Today we are in fact going to be talking about everybody's favorite pastime after baseball, maybe even before baseball. You can do it with baseball these days. <laughs> gambling. Um, so uh, why talk about gambling? Well, first of all, it was one of those that several people had marked on our uh, sheet, so I figured, why not? It's, it's also, we've been, we did two fairly long and in-depth Bible studies on some hefty topics, like a church and state, and then uh, what is the church and uh, membership. So let's, this one's going to be a much shorter topic, just because there's just a little bit less to say about it. Um, so that'll be nice to have a shorter topic before we transition into another one, which... By the way, think about what topics you would like to cover next time. Um, but uh, we'll be talking about this. Another reason, besides it just happened to be one of your interests, is obviously gambling is kind of a, a big deal here in the lovely state of Illinois, right? When we first moved here um, from Minnesota, where gambling is not legal, in fact, you still can't even sell liquor on Sundays in Minnesota, um, they still have some of the blue laws, very pietist state history. But um, anyway, uh, we, we drove past all of these gas stations and places that had just a sign saying, video gaming, and never hearing that phrase before outside of video games, <laughs> like, you know, the Xbox, PlayStation, Coleco, if you ever had one of those. I assumed that these were arcade games, and I was like, man, Illinoisans really love to play their video games. <laughs> yeah. Took me a while before I realized that that was just a euphemism for a slot machine. So, um, anyway, obviously it's everywhere you look. Uh, there's plenty in Effingham. There's some down in Lewis, but they're everywhere. Uh, I was just doing some digging. Apparently, um, casinos, which I don't know if that includes those smaller scale jobs but it certainly includes the big ones. In uh, Illinois, in the year of 2020, mind you, a fair portion of the year, people weren't allowed to use them, uh, had $743 million in the state of Illinois. Um, state lottery for the month of July, just one month out of the year, netted, a, netted not gross, the uh, casinos, that was gross revenue, so that's not counting expenses, payouts, and anything like this. This is after paying out jackpots, um, $147.7 million. After you take away the several million dollar um, prizes that are won. Uh, just to say, it, a lot of money changes hands, quite obviously, <laughs> around gambling. And uh, they just, as of, they were supposed to as of 2020, but I think they might have delayed that, start to... Uh, legal betting on sports, both in-person and, I think, online. I might be wrong about that, but I know they let you do in-persons. Okay, so now you can also bet on sports. I didn't have any figures because um, apparently this last year was kind of weird with COVID and the betting on sports. But you can imagine how much people love sports and how much people obviously love gambling that it's going to be big in the terms of money changing hands. So, it's a relevance question, of course. Um, so one question I want to start with is, uh, first of all, what's your guys' take on gambling? What do you think about it? Tool of the devil. Okay, tool of the devil. Not going to mince words here. Evil up and down, right? Anyone else have any thoughts on gambling? 
about it, that's for sure, other than the state thinks that they can make a lot of money, but they don't. I mean, it just all goes, in, all goes in the wrong places, you know. Oh, yeah, right, right. Yeah, they, get, they hope the people who could probably least afford to, to lose that kind yeah, of money. Yeah, yeah. The people who probably Well, I'll, I'll buy a couple of tickets, you know. You know, I might be lucky and you'd be a winner or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. I wonder, you know, if, if, if somebody that does that regular, if they would keep track of the dollars they spend just on buying chances, you know. Mm -hmm. They could probably buy a week's groceries. <laughs> or maybe two. Okay, so there's uh, two very strong other thoughts. I mean, well, three total so far. We've heard um, the devil uses it as a tool to obviously harm the souls and the destiny of people. There's um, that it's, uh, despite what uh, people like, it just causes a lot of damage. Um, poor people are more likely to uh, get hurt by it. All reasons that have been voiced frequently by people who oppose gambling. Now, just out of curiosity, I kind of expected that would be your view. I remember my mom telling me very often and frequently, gambling is evil. Don't do it. Um, it takes you, her reason for, was always, it takes you from doing good work. You, you, you don't spend your time doing useful work. You do bad, you, you, do, you waste your time with this instead. Um, that's probably a fairly common position among uh, Christian folks of an older generation. If you had to guess, how prevalent do you think that attitude would be about the uh, couple generations younger than you? And it would only be a guess. I have no idea. I'm just curious what your take on that. Do you believe that they believe quite the same? Much, yeah. I mean, they're growing up with it. They don't, uh, unless they've got a real strong Christian Well, and that's very true. It makes a difference whether you grew up with it or not. How many of you had casinos around when you were kids? <laughs> I'm guessing zero of you. That was something reserved for the crazy sin city of Las Vegas, pretty much, right? Well, um, I grew up in a bigger casino, pretty big community, and there was some of that stuff around, and we were sixty miles from Chicago, and there was a lot of that stuff up there. So. Okay, sure. Bigger areas, obviously, different world. But it wasn't legal at the time, probably. Um, oh, by the way, before I forget, I do want to say um, we're going to stop this particular Bible study at 945 just because I want to get up to the funeral, which starts at 1030, um, and make sure I get there. We'll stop 15 minutes early this week. But, um, okay. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, when you don't grow up with it, uh, and then suddenly it's there, it's easier to have a negative perspective than a person who's grown up with it and it's all around them all the time, right? Like so many things, both good, bad, and indifferent, the fact that you're used to it or not makes you have a very different attitude than people who aren't used to it. The fact that the government says, yeah, it's fine, without any Right, and actively promote. It's not just that the government doesn't um, forbid it any longer. Right, because again, one of the big reasons that it is legal, well, here's one of the big reasons that it's legal. We'll just go into some common arguments about, we'll move down to that section on common arguments about gambling. Uh, the pro, the big usual pros and the usual cons. The big pro pushed by most people who are pushing it is that it increases the revenue for the government, state and local level. 
without, by the way, raising taxes on ordinary people, which it sounds to people in government bureaucracies like a win-win. You don't have to push unpopular policies that nobody likes to have their taxes raised, do they? Nobody wants just to pay more out of their pockets. So if you have gambling, you get all these other kinds of revenue streams into the government that they can use to support all these programs like education, like infrastructure, like in our state pensions, all kinds of things um, that you don't have to overtly raise taxes on the broad people because you get to charge licensing fees to the people who provide gambling. You get to uh, tax the uh, revenues of these establishments and you get to tax the gains of the people who do win big. Um, so you tax a very small number of people and you generate, obviously, rather huge amounts of revenue. From a strictly bureaucratic side, seems like a pretty compelling argument, right? Yeah, it would until you realize the state of Illinois is one of the highest tax states well, in the country. They have one of the highest, you know, legal Oh, well, and we, we won't get into fiscal policy on a broader scale. Because <laughs> there are other states that are not as, um, shall we say, fiscally troubled as Illinois that also use these arguments. Yeah. Um, and again, because from a purely state funding, local government funding standpoint, it sounds like a good idea, right? Then, of course, there's some other arguments what people will make. Um, nobody forces you to gamble. It's an entirely voluntary activity. We're not, uh, we don't tax the, when we're taxing people who win, it's not like we forced them to do this. It's not like, well, we're forcing you to pay taxes on your income. You have to do that, whether you like it or not. You choose to gamble. Nobody makes you. That's the argument um, in favor of it. Um, it also, there are people who argue, I mean, look at these poor people who bought the winning Powerball ticket. It's happened. Fairly poor people have won huge, right? And their lives, no doubt, have changed dramatically. And so they say it allows people who otherwise wouldn't have a chance of uh, coming into more wealth the opportunity, slim though it is, they have the opportunity to enrich themselves. Huh, what's not to like? And of course, then you get to, those are the, there's other arguments I suppose people make in favor of it, but those are the three big. Um, one, that it actually helps the common good by allowing the government to do more things for the people um, by increasing their revenue. Second, that it allows the opportunity for poor people to enrich themselves. And third, just to say it's a more neutral rather than positive, it's voluntary. It's not like we're forcing people to do things that harm them. They make the choice. Cons. Um, some of, most of these you've already mentioned. Uh, despite the revenues it might increase to the state on the front end, you might say on the back end, there's a huge cultural, social, and even uh, um, financial drain on every locality. Uh, that is to say, on the one hand, it tends to increase crime. If it gets uh, to a certain degree, of, it increases all kinds of social ills like predatory lending, um, divorce rates increase as people who uh, get addicted to gambling wager more and more than they can't afford and thus it afflicts their it 
lowers people into poverty on the one hand, um, increases friction in marriage relationships, which increases problem strains on the uh, social safety net in all kinds of ways. And so it generates expenses for the state just on a financial. And of course, it's uh, by breaking families up has a huge um, potential cost to our uh, life together and our well-being as individuals. So that is to say the basic con argument is Granted, there might be huge revenue gains, but the costs on a social level outweigh the gains. Then there's the uh, other one that uh, it's addictive. Uh, everybody knows, everybody knows, even the gambling establishments themselves have been forced to recognize, yes, it can become an addictive behavior. And there are compulsive gamblers. And that's a problem. Um, it's hard to say that uh, it's nobody's forcing you to pull the arm of the old one-armed bandit when you're addicted to the phenomenon. It, I mean, granted, in a certain sense, yes, you're making the choice to do that. But on the other hand, um, it's not quite so simple as, gee, just have a little more willpower. <laughs> um, third one that you guys also mentioned, it disproportionately affects the poor. That's not to say poor people tend to gamble more than rich people. It's just to say, uh, people who are moderately well off, I mean, any one of you probably aren't gonna be hurt if you blow 20, 50, 100, maybe even $1,000 at a casino this weekend. It wouldn't do you favors by any means, but all things being equal, would it be devastating to you? Probably not in most cases, uh, but think of a person who's already impoverished who might be more inclined to gamble because of their poverty and wanting to get uh, out of the thing, out of that situation. But regardless of whether that's the motivation or not, they can afford to lose less. <laughs> and so the losses disproportionately affect them and harm them. So in a, in a very real sense, there's the problem of uh, disproportionately harming the poor. And then, of course, one of the big con arguments is uh, the one you leveled. It's just inherently immoral. <laughs> It's against the, the way God has set things up. Therefore, it is wrong and evil and shouldn't be done, regardless of the costs or benefits. So those are the, uh, the big arguments for and against. But the most important argument, the one that we're going to focus on in this uh, study, probably this week and next week, just because we're having a, I don't intend to take much time on this, but to do it justice, the question we want to ask is, what can we actually say about gambling from the perspective of the scriptures themselves? Um, putting aside almost every other question about costs and benefits to society, strictly speaking, what can we say theologically from the scriptures? Now, as we take that up, it is very important to point out as a first foremost thing, and by the way, a lot of this I'm uh, following the lead of one of our CTCR documents on gambling. It's a short little document, which hits a lot of good things, misses some others, but uh, we'll largely be following them, and they point this out too. There is nothing in the scriptures that directly speaks about gambling, negative or positive. It's just not an issue that the scriptures directly address. Now, it's important to say, there almost certainly was gambling in throughout scriptures times. Um, by all accounts, we know that uh, gambling existed in very
very far back into human history. In fact, you may even remember that gambling featured in the, East, the crucifixion account itself. After all, what were the soldiers doing while Jesus was on the cross? Right, casting lots for his clothes. You might say throwing the old dice to see who would win the, uh, the clothes from uh, convicted criminal Jesus. They did not invent gambling on Good Friday. <laughs> It was, it was there. You could probably even say, just like it was present in Chicago, I'm sure it was even present in these rural areas as you were growing up, though not out in the open. It was almost certainly present all the way through the Old Testament. And yet, Scripture doesn't overtly take it up and condemn it as sinful, or for that matter, promote it as a positive good. So, we have to bear in mind, Scripture does not directly condemn, forbid, and it certainly doesn't command gambling. So when we're dealing with this, this, those kinds of issues where we don't have a clear word from Scripture, yay or nay, we always want to be um, a little careful about making universal sweeping judgments that Scripture itself doesn't make. That's not to say that Scripture has nothing to say about things involved in gambling. It's just to say... We want to not say more than we can legitimately say and not say less than we can legitimately say. But here's what we can say. Even though it doesn't say much directly about gambling, in fact, virtually nothing except describes instances of it happening, like on Good Friday, um, Scripture does have a lot to say about the kinds of issues, the kinds of attitudes, the kinds of, uh, you might say, uh, well, we'll just say temptations that very frequently and regularly accompany gambling. Uh, for one thing, we know very obviously, we probably don't need to dig into the verses, but we'll, dig, we'll look at some of the verses just to verify the point. Scripture says things like this. We all know things like greed, not exactly something the scriptures um, encourage, Scriptures roundly condemn greed and covetousness and the love of money. Uh, I'll have some of you, we'll, we'll split this up. Somebody want to look up Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Somebody want to look up the nice short one, Colossians 3, verse 5. And somebody else, 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 11. have Luke for us. I want to read that. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you. Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He talked to himself, What shall I do? Myself. You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take 
All right, so very clearly Jesus is making the simple point that with this famous parable of the rich fool um, that he starts out with, be on your guard against greed and covetousness. What's the problem with greed and covetousness? What's wrong with wanting to get more and more stuff for yourself? Inward and not outward. Right, the, uh, Jesus sums it up right there at the end of the parable. Don't be poor or don't be rich in things and poor towards God. Greed sets your heart on things of this world. It's all about acquiring more about things in this world. On the one hand, to help secure your life as though that's what life really depends on. And on the other hand, closes you off to the things that are outside you that are really important. Chief of all, God, as we'll see even more as we go on through this, um, also love for other people around you. On this score, um, obviously we all know a big motivation towards gambling is to acquire more stuff. Now, by the way, it's not as though simply wanting things is wrong. Otherwise, um, well, we wouldn't be able to function in this world if we didn't have desires, for instance, to get a meal in the coming future. If I didn't desire to earn enough money to uh, provide for my family, my family would be very poor off for it, wouldn't they? But there's a difference between wanting to acquire things to help um, you take care of yourself, your family, your loved ones, your community, and so on and so forth, and seeking things for their own sake on the one hand, and seeking things simply to shore up your life and for the sake of getting more and more and more. This unbridled desire is a serious problem. Pretty straightforward. And on that token, it's not just the desire to gamble. You can also see the temptations that come with winning when you gamble. Um, no doubt, if you won the Powerball jackpot, you'd be very grateful for it. Um, it's also very easy to then start setting your heart on what you have acquired and like the rich fool, I've got everything I need for the rest of my life. Let me eat, drink, and be merry. Not a good place to be. Um, Colossians 3, 5. this one. Again, there's so many verses we could go to against greed, but this one makes a very specific connection between greed and what other kind of sin? Idolatry. And what's idolatry? Right. Worshipping something other than God. Fearing, loving, or trusting someone or something more than God, that is idolatry. And Paul here just simply says, greed is is idolatry. Because what are you loving more than God when you are truly greedy? It's not just wanting things for the sake of something else, for the sake of serving someone else, for the sake of all kinds of things. Greed is all about loving wealth either for its own sake or for your sake. It's all about me, or even for that matter, 
for my family, which my, your family, by the way, can become an idol. Point being, greed always turns your heart away from God. That's a bad thing. Um, 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. This one's a famous one that often gets misquoted. All right, so Paul talking about people who desire to be rich. Now, by the way, it's worth pointing out that the scriptures don't condemn rich people for the fact that they're rich. It doesn't say being rich is a sin. By the way, this quote does not say money is the root of all evil. You've probably heard that before. That is a misquote. What does it say? The love of money is the root, not of all evil either, but of all kinds of evil. For obvious reasons. If, we assume, if Paul is right to say in Colossians, greed is idolatry, then the love of money is the root of all kinds of greed, which also spills out into all the other evils that attend to idolatry. Um, you could just name a few off the tops of your heads. Idolatry itself, in the obvious sense, not caring for other people, um, being willing to exploit other people for your own gain, uh, being willing to toss your own family, your own friends under the bus for the sake of becoming wealthy. All kinds of ways we harm ourselves, our relationship to God, and our relationships with others by desiring too greatly to become wealthy. So again, very straightforward. Love of money, greed, um, is a problem. And obviously, gambling gets easily bound up with those things. Now, we'll come back a little later to the question, is it always the case that when we're gambling, we're being greedy? Is it always the case that when we're gambling, we're doing it out of a disproportionate love for money? That'll be a worthwhile question to ask later. But right now, we're just going to affirm very strongly, it's hard to separate the two in most cases, right? Um, let's move on to the next one. One thing that we're very clearly called to do in the scriptures is to rely on God for his providence. That means two things. It means, first of all, look at God as the provider of everything that we have and trust that he will provide what we need. On the other hand, it also means learning to be content with what God chooses to give you, right? That's trusting in providence. Now, again, I will emphasize that doesn't mean you never try to, trusting that God is going to provide doesn't mean I'm going to sit on this chair for the next 20 years and not move trusting that God is going to bring me every meal, every drink that I need, somehow or other. God's providence works through us doing the tasks God calls us to do. This is the way God provides ordinarily. It's not to say he doesn't provide extraordinarily through miracles, through random strangers popping up to help you, so on and so forth. But ordinarily, the way God has arranged this world is to provide for our needs by us, working at the tasks he gives us to do. By being a pastor here, 
um, I get a salary. I don't do it because of the salary. It's nice to have because it's nice to provide for my family. And um, similarly with you or the farmers in the area. How does God provide for the food of the world? Well, by these guys going out to the field, doing that short work of farming, which helps them provide for their families, helps them provide for the world, right? Nothing wrong with, you can, that is to say, trusting in God's providence implies, from the way God has set up the world, that we also work towards and strive for the things that we hope God will provide, right? Nothing unclear about that. That's just how scripture talks. So just asserting, we're not saying that uh, the simple fact that I go into the casino wanting to get something out of it somehow means I'm not trusting that God provides because I go to work trusting I'm going to get something out of it, right? But that being said, um, gambling on the one hand can lead us to think that uh, it's not really God who provides, it's uh, me this is true of all things we do. It's very easy for us to confuse the fact that God works through our vocations to provide for us, to think that it is our vocations, our work, our efforts that provide for us. It is my skill at the card game of blackjack that has provided me this winning. And therefore, my heart is not really trusting that God somehow had anything to do with it. It's all about me knowing my odds and being really sharp and smart. It can happen just as well to the farmer who goes out in the field thinking, it's by my hand, by my wise reading of the weather patterns, my, my farmer's almanac, and my uh, good connections with the seed company that has provided this for me. It's not that that's untrue. It's all true that those things have helped. But at the back, pulling the strings is who? God. So that's a temptation in all callings. But one thing that gambling does often tempt us to do is to be discontent, especially with what we do have. A lot of people go into the casino precisely because they are malcontents with what they have and they don't see any ob for obvious way of changing the situation. So it's easy to be tempted, that is to say, to think God isn't providing what I need. He won't provide what I need through these other callings he has given me. By the way, God probably doesn't give too many people the call to go and gamble in, any, in the same sense that he calls people to go and farm. But um, they go into these thinking, well, I'll play the odds, so to speak, and I'll enrich myself because I can't live in the way that I am living now. And this will be a good way to get out of it. It's a problem. It's a temptation. Now again, always bear in mind for all of these, is it always the case that when we're gambling, we're doing this? When a, single, when a person gambles, they are, must necessarily be sinning in this way. Keep that in the back of the mind. We'll come back to it. Um, but just as a quick couple of examples of the fact that we're supposed to rely on God and providence in this twofold way, uh, somebody turn to Hebrews 13.5 and somebody else to the uh, other one here, Philippians 4, 10 through 13. Are you ready? Yep. Keep your 
lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now again, um, notice that this is connected not to gambling, but to the love of money. This is one of the evils that the love of money leads you into that Paul warns about implicitly when he says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Here in Hebrews, it makes one of those kinds of evils explicit. Um, it demonstrates a lack of contentment with what God gives you and a lack of trust that God is able to and willing to and has promised to provide us with what we actually need as our pilgrimage through this life. Um, so discontent is problematic because it does not trust in God's promise that I will provide you with what you need. By the way, I emphasize a little statement I tailed on to the end there, what we need for our pilgrimage through this life. God does not promise I'm going to give you everything you think you need. He doesn't even promise I'm going to give you everything you need to keep your body going. What he promises is I will give you everything you need. And in view of God, and we know what God's end game is, is what? Bringing his people to salvation. And he is always willing, able, and promises to give his people, as Paul says in Romans 8, with that whole, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He always gives them what they need to make it through this pilgrimage in such wise as to come to the destination of eternal life. And the love of money that often attends gambling, um, the love of money, though, very often militates and un against and undermines contentment. All right, any questions about any of this so far? It's pretty straightforward stuff. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. All right, and there again is an example of Paul both uh, showing how he himself does this and also encouraging the same in other Christians who hope in God, um, that he has learned the secret to be content. And notice, not because God has given him what he needs. What does he say? He says, I have learned to be content in plenty or in want. When I have what I need and what I lack what I need, I have still learned the secret to being content. That is, contentment is not based around what we actually have on any given day. Contentment is not saying, now I have enough, or at least not enough stuff to sustain my life. Contentment is to say, I have Christ and his promise of life, and that is always enough. And therefore, I can be content. But I appreciate you caring for me and taking care of me nonetheless, Paul says. It's great that you do that. But just so you know, I don't need me it. That's an interesting perspective. And, and by the way, it's worth saying that all of these things, I hope if you're, you're catching some of this or thinking this direction, all of these things apply to a much bigger realm of our life than gambling. 
if we were to be completely honest, most, uh, most people exercise most even what we call productive forms of labor through the midst of all of these same temptations we've just been warning about. And they are ripe, they are insidious, and the devil uses them all as a tool, even though they're given as blessings by God. In a way, no doubt gambling isn't, but even though all these other productive means of activity are given as callings and gifts of God, the devil is excellent at using them all as tools to turn our hearts to greed, to love of money, to discontent, to a lack of trust in God by an assumption that if I don't have a fridge um, that works at a certain level with an ice maker, I am deprived. God is not providing for me the way I need. My house is only 100 square feet. It's not big enough to live in. God isn't providing for me. I can't be content. We are so, all right, well, let's just be honest. So much of our society encourages and depends on discontent. So much of the revenue-generating facts of, heck, just watch TV and ads. What are they built on? Making you discontent. <laughs> they trade on prodding your sinful desires. Our world is built on greed. <laughs> now, I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything bigger like death to capitalism. <laughs> what I'm simply saying is the obvious fact that the human heart is always capable of taking the best gifts of God and putting its hopes on those rather than on the God who gives them. And we are more than happy to encourage people to do that if it benefits us because we already have our hearts set on those things. So point being, let's not just read these as applying to the narrow issue of gambling. Let's take this as applying to the whole of our working and waking life and our contentment with our house, our home, our food, our clothes, we are just a thoroughly discontent people. And the fact of the matter is, this, is not, this does apply to poor people, who, of course, because they are such deprivation, obviously very much hunger for those things that they lack that would make their life even minimally comfortable and so are prone to those temptations. But it especially afflicts those who are prosperous, those who are comfortable. Because after all, once you learn to live with having a lot, you fail to learn, you start to forget how to live without. One of those, uh, I'll just bring in, how many of you have read the Little House on the Prairie series? Great books, great books. Um, one of those, I can't remember which one, but it, I think it's the long winter one where they're trapped in their little house there in town for this really bad winter with lots of blizzards. And eventually they have to make do with doing all of these um, apparently um, much less advanced ways of making light, making food, and so forth. And the, the paw observes at one point, boy, I'm glad your mom remembers how to do these things. Things that, by the way, in the earliest book, Little House in the Big Woods, they were doing as a matter of course every day of their lives. But now that they lived in town in the West, they had completely forgot how to do and completely were in, unprepared to do. We got used to these things, and now we depend on them. We can't live without them. Point being, prosperity breeds temptations to greed. Again, that doesn't mean it's sinful to be prosperous. It just means it's rife with temptations. All right. Um, 
We'll just skip number three there because it's basically the same. Well, we'll read the, uh, we'll just read this as kind of lumped in the same thing because it's basically the same point. But it's a very worthwhile text. Matthew 6, 19 to 24, somebody You've all heard this one, I'm sure. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where the thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. Eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and man. All right. Uh, very simple point Jesus is making. Set your heart on eternal destiny, not on your earthly destiny. He doesn't say this stuff here, the treasures on earth are supposedly bad. It's just to say, they will be destroyed. They will come to nothing. Therefore, setting your hopes on them is foolish. Set your hopes on heaven, where the treasure does not fade, cannot fade. Um, again, to apply this to gambling, gambling... It, um, very often trades in having your heart set on money. In a way, by the way, that a lot of other, uh, it's worth saying, especially, uh, you might say, corporate gambling. Gambling as a, uh, a factor of the economy itself. It trades on something that, very, that a lot of other vocations just don't. It trades on the idea of getting wealthy in this life. Let's, I mean, just compare it just at random. We'll pick doctors. Doctors, you may think, are overpaid. A lot of them get a lot of money for what they do, and no doubt it costs a lot. And no doubt there's all kinds of temptations for the healthcare industry, as an industry, to uh, set its heart on the money and the dollar and the bottom line. But at the end of the day, um, even if it drifts into that problematic territory, what is the industry of healthcare, at least in theory, about? Healthcare, healing, right? <laughs> Making people better. <laughs> that's not a. That's a goal that at least always will stand as a as a uh, a curb, you might say, on the greed that accompanies every single industry. It will not always win by any means, obviously, but it always is there as the heart around which the industry is built, and therefore always as a possible corrective against the temptation. What is at the heart of gambling as an industry? Money. <laughs> that is all gambling is, is money. Um, it's not, you could compare it to like venture capitalism, for instance, which again, very much is about money, more than almost anything else. But at the least, even in the venture capitalism and the stock markets and so forth, which no doubt are basically a form of gambling in a lot of respects. Nevertheless, there is still this other issue of you're investing in companies, some of which you hope will have providing a good service to the rest of the world. It's not, 
even though it's 99% maybe about the money, there might be this 1% that isn't just about the money, but is about the company. Gambling is 100% about the money. And so it has these, it therefore has less interior to itself as an industry to help offset or counter the temptations. It is 100% in about cultivating the temptations. It does the best when it gets people to forget all of these lessons from the scripture. It will thrive the most when it gets you to forget these things. It has a vested interest in making you sin. Make sense? Um, so again, it's worth saying, while we want to say all of this also applies to most other industries, um, it is uniquely true about an industry like gambling, right? Um, any questions about that? All right, well, we're going to have to leave off there. Uh, just to give you a quick preview of what we're going to be saying, we're going to talk more, we've been talking primarily about greed and our relationship to God and the way gambling opens temptations of that. Next time, we're going to start looking at especially the way it impacts our relationships with each other, and then move into the, the ultimate question we want to ask, is gambling therefore sinful in every and any case? And just as a sneak preview, we're going to say, um, first, like we started off with, we want to be careful about saying that, since Scripture doesn't overtly say that, but also to say, let's actually look at some other instances that fall under the heading of gambling that don't have necessarily to do with the industry, that at least we might want to look at a little more closely before we just roundly make everybody who's ever gambled sinning by definition. All right, let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.